hospital medical staff. Attention, the copier on the third floor is for everyone. Please use it responsibly. Be courteous of others and do not make a million color copies. Thanks to whomever used all the ink today and didn't let anyone know how to reorder some. Your callous selfishness has cost me taking sensi orders and making coworkers host parties for me. I hope you're happy. This concludes your announcements. Stay tuned for how you can be a boss-ass bitch making millions from home with these simple steps. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And still, sadly, no Ben. We miss him very much, and he'll be back soon, we promise. But please welcome, joining us, uh, for those of you who've listened to Kids on Bikes, you'll know this voice very well. It is our game master. Welcome, Jeremy Marr. Hi, incontinent readers. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are covering episode 12 of Kingdom Hospital, Shoulda Stood in Bed, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. First, our usual disclaimer during COVID, we are recording remotely, so our sound quality is not the same. And also, I just have to say, for the first time in two years, our neighbors decided to mow their lawn right as we're recording. I don't know if it's going to come through on the audio, but I got a bitch about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jeremy, I have a few questions for you. What was your first Stephen King experience? My first I remember is my aunt was reading it in the stand she had the books there and i remember as a kid seeing these covers and then i never read stephen king again (laughs) for a a very long time it was just kind of like i i don't know if i want to read these books so the first book i ever read was uh eyes of the dragon good so i'm not a super fan like a lot of people i was more into like clive barker and stuff like that but i do like stephen king a lot now nothing wrong with clive barker That's like a whole, we could start another podcast. (laughs) So what is your favorite Stephen King moment? The the thing that always stuck with me was from the eyes of the dragon, the carrot that flag had to water that protected uh, the dragon sand or the, yeah, yeah, that protected the dragon sand. (laughs) And it, it it made me fascinated with like what other weird shit is inside a wizard's seclusium. Like, what's in there. (laughs) And so I'm always like grabbing like weird knickknacks and weird stuff like that. That's all about my office. And I think that's the reason why flag would be proud. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing. Shining endorsement. All right. Those are awesome answers. Welcome to the show. You move on to the next round, which is you just get to talk (laughs) about this episode with us. Okay, great. I have a lot of baloney theories to throw at you guys (laughs) can't wait so real quick last episode was super sexy everyone was pairing off even stegman's car was undressed literally (laughs) good and everyone who was trying to get into records got what they were looking for and in some cases more and in this episode we get to see the fantastic outcome of all of that but we're gonna dig into that in a little bit but for now we open things up with Dr. Gottright walking through the old kingdom with a candle and he is saying creepy shit and it is the best opening to an episode ever. So many things in the show are so strange. Like this it is a direct to camera monologue. I actually have 
the I have it written down. Oh, if you want to hear it, do your best, Doctor Gottreich. Yeah. Oh impression. God! All right, <laughs> here they store what came before, pain and suffering from days of yore, before and after, tears and laughter. After comes before, before comes after, past and future, and then hereafter. The naked and the dead, the young and the old, their stories end here, their tales unfold. Here sickness and death have left their pages, written in blood for all the ages. Someday your story will be here too. Wow. I'm impressed. Thank you. It's it's almost as good as my German accent. <laughs> <laughs> at, at a certain point when I do accents, I just give up and just say, I just mispronounce words and hope <laughs> that it's close. I feel like the, the opening was a shift in what's been happening and how the episodes have been set up before. This this episode like leaves on more of a cliffhanger, I think, than any of them up until this point. So I feel like we're almost telling a different arc of the story. I feel like it's it's said this is one of like the scarier episodes. I have a very important question for well, Jeremy, I'm gonna direct it at you since you're a special oh guest. Boy. Okay. So if you had to, if you had to take that entire monologue and you had to paraphrase it in one sentence and still get the message across, what would that be? Jeremy's uh, never I, coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so if he's I had our, to he's our GM, this, I know he can I take it. Feel like Suck it, fourth wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. (laughs) It's like, really, isn't it just in a way it's like, don't don't try to make sense of this show. I mean, in a way, I mean, it's like because it's mostly just playing with themes, right? Before it comes after, after before. So this whole setup for this thing, I don't know if you guys have heard of the uh, liminal space before. No, it's where transitions in life happen. So it's not really like, like, okay, so I can tell you like the definition of liminal lemon comes from the the Latin root lemon, which means threshold. So this is kind of like the the hospital is probably like an ultimate liminal space, right? Because it comes between what was and what's next. You're constantly waiting. So there's like at a hospital, you're, you're sick. And then you become healthy or maybe sometimes you go from life to death or whatever. And I was wondering if Stephen King was kind of exploring this concept of the blurring between realities. That's what this feels like to me. And that that's why I thought like this opening thing set that up. Now you're in it. You're in this movie or the TV show. I'm glad you bring that up because I think you are 100% right. This episode does a great job just in that very first moment and throughout even of like bringing you into that and making this, and I think kind of tying it into some things we've seen a little bit of before and hints of, this is very much about time and space and what's going to happen with that. We sort of, I don't know, I kind of think of the black noise, which Richard likes to call the black voices too, as a, a another dimension sort of that we're right up against and we're sort of getting glimpses of that and coming in and out of it throughout these episodes. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. I think a hospital is the perfect representation for transition. And speaking of transition, we go right from this to Otto, who is outside. He's still rocking the no glasses look, <laughs> but I, I really wish that Jesus would have healed his haircut. <laughs> Time has to do that. 
he's outside doing maintenance things and Abel and Krista are discussing the upcoming earthquake. And as we cut back and forth from outside of the hospital with them to inside, uh, it, it's just cool because they're, they're commenting on various things that our characters are doing. Otto is driving a trash zomb- uh, Zamboni. <laughs> yeah. like, he's very bad at it. <laughs> I feel like he still needs his glasses. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, a Johnny B. Good job. And yeah. Johnny's not here, so Otto has to do it. But yeah, our our you know our Greek chorus has got a Greek chorus yeah. and tee up what everybody's going to experience in the this next day. I believe it's at the end, either the end of last episode or somewhere in this episode that Schwartzden specifically says there are four hours left, and so we have we are on a clock of when this is going down. Yeah, we're also going to get a little more of Horse Cop. And he changes his name, but not to Horse Cop for some reason. <laughs> he goes from Saul to Paul, which spooked me out instantly. And we, so we, since we already have a Paul, in the interest of clarity, I'm going to call him Spall. Good. Spall can also hear the black noise. I thought you were going to go with Horse Paul. So Spall <laughs> is a step in the right direction. <laughs> this felt like a red herring to me where I'm like, is the other Paul like possessing this guy now? Is he gonna figure out a way to bridge both kingdoms and start doing some weirder shit? Yeah, we talked about that uh, a little bit last episode of yeah. that we were kind of hoping that would have been Rolf's story arc being taken over, but I mean, I guess uh, yeah, I think it, this is it's so late in the game to do a real life jump in. I wonder if this is a thread that was put in to be explored if there was a season two, maybe. Or maybe it'll come around and this character will have a major thing in the final episode. Which, that would be so weird, but I'd be into it because I want to see Paul do weird stuff. Oh, we'll get to see Paul do weird stuff in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Okay, before that, we're going to get to see Elmer and Hook do weird stuff. (laughs) Not, man, that sounded so sexy. (laughs) Didn't you guys? (laughs) Was it, was that a transition? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you okay, know, okay. It's been a rough few months. These episodes <laughs> are going off the rails. I'm doing my best. <laughs> so we cut to Elmer and Hook, and Hook gives Elmer the key to his locked fridge. So Elmer finally gets his hands on Frankie's head, and he. Th- I like this scene because he just gets this head, and he's about to turn around, and here comes Richard just bursting into Hook's kingdom you know, sounding his alarm bells. And so we get this, again, this comedic moment between two characters. I really, I like Elmer in this scene. Yeah. (laughs) He felt the least cartoony that that I've seen him in a while. Yes. I like that because he's holding the head in the bag behind his back as he's circling Schwartzden to get away as he's as, Schwartzden saying, the earthquake's going to happen before midnight. Either get everyone out or everyone's going to die. And he's like, yep, uh-huh, 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 cool, cool, cool. And he's like, what do you got there? And he just looks him in the eyes and goes, salvation. And then turns and <laughs> runs away. Yeah, like, w- what is this? Is this going to be like Elmer's like martyr arc now? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I also feel like if I was Elmer, the very first thing I would do once I got my head in a bag is take my glasses back. Yeah, that evidence that, that was, was you who did it. The <laughs> one thing that has tied him to this is that the head is wearing his glasses still. Get your glasses. <laughs> How do you prove that, though? 
Is it just a DNA thing? You scrape some skin cells off of the glasses? I also thought about that. Like, are, are his glasses so iconic to him in that hospital that people look at them? Oh, those are definitely Elmer's glasses. Maybe. Well, they're sure not autos. <laughs> we end this scene with Hook contemplating that all of this is Mary's doing, you know, the big one, which I thought was very interesting. I like that he he's he's giving this like monologue to the ether and he basically says, Mary, you're messing up the Swedenborgian flow. Well, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he sort of paraphrases Antibus here when he's like, when he gives the hands off the key to Elmer, and he says one good turn deserves another. Yeah. Oh, I didn't that. catch that. And then there's a thing when, what's the name of the, the earthquake man? Richard Schwartzton. Richard Schwartzton. And he says like, go, you got to tell everybody. And Hook just is like, as if anyone would believe me. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a sad moment. He has a lot of pull in the hospital. <laughs> That's what I thought. And yeah. he was, looks like he was just dealing with like blood samples in a, out of a cardboard box at that point. Yeah. What was the deal with that? <laughs> He's pulling vials of blood that he has in his kingdom just- uh, Doing inventory, I guess? We could speculate a lot because we've already seen some other creepy shit he has in his kingdom. <laughs> this is true. So Elmer takes the head and he puts it back in his locker and he's saying the combination out loud. And I didn't catch this till my second time through. That combination is Lona's measurements. It sure is. Okay. How does he know that? Did he measure her? Okay. Here, uh, this we actually got an email from uh, Lee Blaylock, longtime listener of ours. Great emails from this guy. He points out so many things to us. Uh, and he brought up to us that when he watched it, that it appears that Elmer and Lona may have had a little something before we see them in the series. Because when they the first interaction we see them is in episode one in that board meeting. And there's some weird tension there that I just attributed to him being intimidated. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if maybe there had been something more to that. And I think him setting his locker combination to her measurements probably isn't a new thing. So maybe there's something a little more in the past that we didn't get. <laughs> like Elmer uh, chloroforming her and taking her measurements. Yes, so <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay. No, actually, I I really like this. Thank you, Lee. That is that's a good observation because that that brings a complexity and depth to their relationship that is less disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Some and and it's hard. Like I, you know, have taken my own measurements. I've I've made you know my own clothes and stuff and. That's not something you can just get from someone without their permission. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> just so you know. The important part of all of this is that Blondie is nearby and sees and hears everything. So later, when we cut to Frankie in the Old Kingdom, he has a helper. And I, I want to talk about this scene. I know it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I had to go back and rewind it because I swear that Frankie... So he's in the Old Kingdom when we cut to him, and then he does some magic and he is all of a sudden in the new kingdom. He pulls I, his finger. <laughs> I couldn't tell. It sounded like he like lit a match. It was like this weird noise and he did something with his hands. I was like, he's a magician. <laughs> I just thought he had some sort of convulsion and then it happened. Like, I don't know, like the kingdoms for some reason 
because of all the tremors in the area, just kind of like did something and they synced up for a moment. But it would have been more dramatic if there were more lights in the New Kingdom. That switch happens at the same <laughs> angle and it's just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen Peter and Mary go between the kingdoms before and, it, and it's more of like a I'm kind of a ghosty figure of myself walking through a wall. So I just hadn't seen this kind of transportation. I, I really dug it. I thought it was neat. Well, we know that, you know, like Antibus has interacted with things in the real world. So we know that there can be some jumping back and forth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just weird that Frankie figured out how to do it. Yeah. And without a head, this guy yeah. is amazing. But I, so here's the thing that I love is that he... Gets in the locker, thanks to Blondie. Blondie gives the locker combination. He gets his head and holds it. And you see the little like tendrils as his head reattaches itself. Yeah. And then he just takes off running in the real world. So Frankie's just running around having been dead and his head cut off and he's back. Well, he did. He saw Antibus suddenly. So it's one of those other, like this thing that's been happening, that blur between what's real and what's not is Blondie. Sometimes where Blondie is, suddenly Antibus is. Yeah. And I think like this is like one of those other situations. So if Antibus was there, wasn't he there to escort Frankie to wherever he's going next? Yeah, So I is guess. he now stuck because he ran away? <laughs> you can't run from Antibus, man. I, most importantly, though, it, this is just stupid, but I have to bring it up because it bothers me. Did Frankie only hear Blondie give him the combination because his head, his head with the ears, <laughs> were in the locker within hearing distance? Because how else would he have heard him? <laughs> Psychic torso. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, spiritual vibrations. Spiritual vibrations. Okay. I don't know. Because his head hasn't even been active lately either. When it was in that bag, it was just sitting there. It yeah, like it wasn't. constantly yelling. And right. Stuff like, like that. I'm over here. And even when he, when he first picks it up to put it on, it's backwards. And Blondie has to tell him, wrong way, dude. Like, he would see his torso and he'd, whatever. <laughs> I need to stop trying to figure out the Frankie, New Kingdom, Old Kingdom stuff. So let's cut to the Rickmans. Peter is having seizures and, and the doctors are in there and Natalie is getting irritated with them. Um, th- This really bothered me. At one point, they try to take his drawings away. They're like, well, maybe this will help. And she's like, no, you idiots. That's his only way to communicate with us. Yeah. So this it, this kind of felt like a, an experience that you might have at a hospital that you would want to comment on, right? Sometimes there's a thing where the medical professionals don't really know what's going on. And sometimes they act like they do and almost feel like you're being like gaslit. Yeah. Well, and I, I could see like making this kind of like a Stephen King version of that, like being gaslit. And it's great that Natalie steps up and she is saying what's happening. And uh, the elder Traff says, you can't possibly know that. And she's like, I've been here long enough. I don't think I've learned how to read these monitors by now. Natalie is not fucking around. No, she's not. We get a scene of Mary and we find out that she's as good a liar as David. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, so if if anybody doesn't remember who David is, he is the guy who hit Peter, unless I got his name wrong. Who took a swan dive off his roof. Yeah, yeah. And and when the cop came, he was like, I I didn't hit no artist. <laughs> <laughs> and and so Mary, uh, we see her lying on a table somewhere that we're not familiar with, and she looks like she's in distress. And she is saying, I didn't see anything. I'm just the time girl. I didn't see a fire. No one started a fire. 
She needs to work on her lying. Right. <laughs> she's not a liar. She's just a time girl. She's just a time girl. She's just a little kid. Didn't have didn't have a chance to learn how to lie. And you guys, I okay, I never thought about this t- until now. We're talking about time, and we've talked about time numerous times in in this series. Mary is the time girl. And we we get more later in this episode about how this is Mary's doing, however unintentionally. And are we having all these weird interdimensional and time things because she is the time girl? That's perfect, actually. I love that. Yeah, because it's every time there's been these weird things uh, because Mary is the conduit for this destruction, even though she doesn't mean to be. The voices just build up and she channels them into manifestations. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that that tracks. I'm into that. Awesome. Peter ends up drawing out a seance. We cut to Sally during the scene and she is sleeping and she finds herself in the old kingdom and she can hear it, it's very creepy and spooky and I love it. Like she can hear children screaming. She finds her way to the pain room and based on what she sees in this room, Aunt Bear would have a heyday. <laughs> yeah, the the MEG machine is just covered in ants. Ugh. Which leads me to ask a question. Okay. I I don't know how this is going to make sense, but I'm going to ask it. Are ants representations of human souls? This is interesting because my note that I have is ants are pain. So Ooh, that's even better. Yeah, because they're that machine is sort of a conduit as well. And ants are crawling all over it. And they're crawling on a... Richard's feet when he's saying my feet are on fire and they're in Spall's brain and Aunt Bear licks that. So I don't know. I feel like uh, we talked about this a little bit last episode, ants being sort of a a psychic something. I think it's pain. Also, at the very beginning, when we first meet Antibus, Peter's in all that pain and Aunt Bear eats a uh, an ant off of him and then drags him to safety. Yeah. But a single ant, he's yeah. not in that much pain. Apparently. <laughs> he's, well, he's broken everything. Everything's real numb. Yeah, yeah. I so Jeremy, did you just call Peter a pussy? <laughs> nope. No, you, you did. You did. I just say he only had one. Judging if it's ants or pain, he only had one ant. So I was just extrapolating your. Uh, well, maybe because he was paralyzed. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. he wasn't feeling the pain. Yeah, he didn't know. And Antipas is like, oh, this guy must be in a little bit of pain, which is delicious to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, he, that's... he eats disease. But I, then Sally takes a step back and she asks the old kingdom, are these voices screaming? Are they the people who died in the fire? Are they people who died in the the original hospital for malpractice and then there's this this pause and she realizes that it's both everybody who has died and been hurt here that energy is just still here bubbling under the surface and can i just say that sally does an awesome job in this scene absolutely sorry absolutely (laughs) she is really Mary appears and she tells Sally, and I think she said this in another episode too, but it's such a cool badass line, I I have to say it again, that if she rings her bell tonight, it'll be for the hundreds. To which Sally responds, don't, which I thought was great. (laughs) I don't think anybody tried that tactic before. (laughs) 
Right. It's a very simple answer. It's like, why do you have to then? Just get rid of your bell and everything will be fine. <laughs> so that all of those ants made me go look up what ants in dream symbolism might mean because I do that sometimes. Yeah. And I, I found out that on the internet, there's a whole lot of bullshit about dream symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can make it mean whatever the hell you want. Because the, the first time I was like, oh, what's this ant eater mean? And then it, it was just like, it really kind of tracked with the show. But it was the first thing I looked up. And I'm like, well, let me make sure that's not confirming my bias. And then the next <laughs> thing was like, ant eaters mean that there's some teamwork that needs to be worked on. Huh. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, okay. All right. Because, you know, like, sometimes ants mean, like, teamwork because they, uncon- they, they communicate and work well together. And the anteater disrupts that or whatever. I was like, okay, this is just like a couple of potheads hanging out, like thinking about what ants might mean in a dream. So like, <laughs> oh, I'm never, never going to do that again. <laughs> no, no, that still works, though. If ant anteater represents that there's teamwork that needs to be done, we are building up to the seance, which is totally a teamwork thing. Yeah, but Antibus, Antibus would be like throwing a stink bomb in the middle of the teamwork, I think, right? Because he's always like eating all the team members. <laughs> <laughs> there is some teamwork going to happen, though. I love that. Oh, you guys, I was excited for this. Ghost Ambulance is back. For no reason. <laughs> Absolutely just, none. <laughs> just back and then gone with zero explanation. Well, have other people seen the Ghost Ambulance on the monitor? Or has it been a thing that's just happening in the background for the audience? Yes. Uh, in one of the episodes, Stegman and Hook are talking about it because Hook says plenty of people have seen uh, a ghost ambulance and just you haven't. And that's that's why other people are like not as stuck up as you about it. <laughs> so it seems like a common thing. It seems like the one thing most people have experienced or at least think they experienced. And Sally sees it, too, in this scene because she it's on Otto's security camera he and bobby are you know just sleeping in the room and presumably drunk on the beer that hook brings them yeah. in that room a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> i i had a moment when i was watching this sally bursts into this room and i thought she was going to accuse bobby of watching porn again and for a second i was like oh shoot i'm i'm re-watching last week's episode on accident but no She's just trying to tell them, you know, hey, we got to have a seance tonight. The big one's coming. It's the most important seance of my career. And she needs to have it in a lab with some sort of machine. And I was really hoping Otto would try to pronounce Meg so I could not be the only one. (laughs) (laughs) But he tells her, like, this is what that is. And they know they have more pieces of the puzzle, which is pretty cool. There's a moment that happens in that that's so weird to me when Bobby says, no, mama. And Sally replies, yes, Papa. No, she says, yes, Mama. Huh? She says, yes, Mama. She says, yes, Mama? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Because it sounded like, yes, Papa to me. And I rewound it a couple of times and it still sounded like, yes, Papa. (laughs) And then the look on Otto's face was just like, so that's how it is in this family. (laughs) (laughs) So it confirmed it for me. So thank you. I can sleep later tonight knowing she says yes, mama. No, I think they've really toned down the sexual chemistry between these two from from the first episode. 
speaking of gross <laughs> sexual chemistry with moms, uh, Brenda's on her way to the airport and she is pleased as punch and she calls Stegman and they're having just the grossest conversation <laughs> that the limo driver has to listen to this poor, poor guy. And the only things I, I caught was love dumpling, huggy boy. <laughs> Did you guys catch any more of this? Yeah. Uh- before they get into these, I love that she is talking to Stegman and she's like, I wish you'd come with me. I've always wanted to get nasty in a limo. And it just cuts to the limo driver looking in the rearview mirror like, oh, God, no, please. <laughs> yeah, like dodged a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to pay to clean this. I was going to say, we clearly see that Stegman is not a poet yes. at that point. Like, he's got nothing he just starts naming off parts of the brain. Uh, I have them. I have them written out. Okay. They're, they're back and forth, starting with Stegman. Josh, but I want you to do it the way Brenda does it, like with her passion and zeal. Oh, okay. All right. I'll give it a shot. Well, I'm, I'm acting so much in this episode. I know. I love it. All right. Sugar pumpkin. Honey love. Baby doll. My little love dumpling. Huggy girl, huggy boy, huggy hot, uh, the hypothalamus, my lusty lady of the limbic system, my ardent amiglia. And then she goes, what? (laughs) um, That was so disgustingly good. (laughs) It's like I have PTSD and I just relived that scene. (laughs) And I still feel terrible like I did when I first watched it. This isn't the first time Josh has wooed himself. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first time I've done it when it's being recorded. Fair enough. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad glad you had a script then. (laughs) Where do you take it from here? Me personally or the show? You. (laughs) Oh, wait till the mics are off. (laughs) So Stegman is in for a really nasty surprise here in in these next coming scenes and it's so so good and fun oh my god it's so great oh you know what i there's a thing that i noticed so like throughout all of those scenes that you mentioned right there they kept cutting back to abel and krista and they kept saying rhymes and then right here right before the limo ride they (laughs) it said someone's gonna have a bad day (laughs) and then together they rhyme that terrible no good very bad day and then (laughs) They walk away. So presumably throughout this whole part of the episode, they were just like freestyle nursery rhyming out in front of wherever <laughs> they were. <laughs> Fun fact about I'm so glad you mentioned that because I found the original from the, the original scripts for Kingdom Hospital when they plotted out all the episodes. The original title of this episode was Steg's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It It is a terrible, horrible, <laughs> no good, bad day because somebody has blown up and plastered copies of Mona's anesthesiology report all over the hospital. And they put Stegman's photo on there. And really alarming and disturbing at the very bottom, they have a before and after of Mona that is tragic and heartbreaking. Is that last part too far? If you're sending it to her parents, yes. Like that, that's a little, well, it's too far no matter what. Yeah, it's 
Like, I get that this is this is the ultimate tool of destruction for Stegman. She has become a tool in this set. With yeah, those pictures, those she pictures, is now a means to an end and not a person. Right. That's kind of how I felt about it. Jeremy, how did that strike you? So the use of her image to make that the before and after, like, was that a bad choice? You're saying, like, that's too far? Yeah, well, I'm wondering, because that the report is damning enough. There's some other things written on it with, with that picture of Stegman that's been added to it. It's not it, it's was not respectful adding, of her dignity. Yeah, was adding those before and after photos of Mona a, a step too far. Right. I well and we don't see the stuff that he submits to the family and to the legal. Those are just the stuff that's plastered up around the hospital. So I don't know maybe Ooh. there's a couple of different things. I don't I'm not I'm not sure. That's so true. It felt it felt like a very like high school drama moment mm-hmm. like Stegman was running for prom king <laughs> and then <laughs> Hook puts this incriminating evidence all over the walls and everybody's talking about it. Uh, but it's much worse, obviously. <laughs> and then everybody, then somebody covers Stegman in blood and then he burns oh, down yeah. the hospital. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's like that again, right? Because Hook feels like people won't listen to him. So he has to do stuff like this. Yeah, that's true. It's very effective for the show. Like it's it's a good decision in the series because it's extremely impactful. But in real life, yeah, that you'd be like, you got to take these down. You can't put <laughs> pictures of her like that. This uh, next scene with Hook and Stegman, I absolutely love. Hook gets on the elevator with him, and there are there are like three posters behind him when the elevator opens on Hook and Stegman sees him sort of standing like in a halo of posters. And he gives Stegman the gesture. And for the first time, the gesture seems like it's actually a middle finger. (laughs) Yeah. And then he they're standing there in the elevator and he pulls out a poster like you would a newspaper very casually. And I loved that. And then every move he made, every look he gave Stegman was so scathing oh my god andrew mccarthy crushes this scene and he has no dialogue yeah it's completely no dialogue but you just you can feel him basking in the glow of (laughs) i've done this thing that you cannot undo and props to to steg who the actor who sells the hell out of that oh yeah yeah, bruce davison like he you can see him like (laughs) fuming it's so great those two those scenes with these two actors are so phenomenal i enjoy them i have a kind of going back to your point jeremy or josh i don't know who made it now one of you had a good point (laughs) and so we have this scene with them outing him for harming this little girl but i feel like what we've set up as a motivation for that is that stegman kind of plagiarized draper's work and so that's why Hook went all out after him with this report. It's not for Mona. It's that's not for true. justice for her. Yeah. Yeah, it Isn't is. Isn't that earlier? There's something earlier in the series where Hook shows Chris all of the malpractice stuff that's happened in the hospital. Yeah. So this is like a continuation of Hook's mission, too, to just really call out all malpractice in the hospital. That is also true. He said he had enough information to take down pretty much anybody in that hospital. That makes me feel better about what he did with the report, actually. (laughs) Thank you. Good, good. We'll all sleep better tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So Hook and Draper and Sally all congregate in Peter's room, and they're trying to get him to tell them what they need to do. And this is cool. Mary appears, and she's like, 
Peter, Sally, let's go to Old Kingdom. Sally is so happy to be traveling in Swedenborgian space. She's very excited. There's that great little jump scare at the start of that scene, too, where uh, Hook is there just talking to Peter, like, can you wake up or whatever? And Peter just snags Sally's arm. Yeah. And it's this shocking moment of connection. And that ends with just, like, her absolute joy about finally <laughs> seeing sweet Borgian space. It's, it's her so best good. day. Like if you were into that and you finally got to experience it. Yeah, man. <laughs> this really is Sally's best day ever. Let's cut for a while back to Stegman's worst nightmare, which he soon makes Brenda's worst nightmare. This, we, we don't like these characters very much, but the way he rips Brenda apart made me so, so sad for her. Because all she does is is love him. Yeah, and I have to admit, and I, I'm glad you said that because I felt like kind of torn. Like, should I admit this or not? Because we've we've given her such a hard time. This scene is where I turned, and Brenda has my sympathy. And even though you know she took that report, she was trying to hide something that was very wrong and not ethical. I I just could not wait to see what she did next. And she had my full support, whatever it was. I "I got you, Brenda. (laughs) Do we have any dialogue from this, Josh? Uh, I do, actually. (laughs) I just, I I don't really write a lot of dialogue notes, but because, especially with Stegman, how like ranty he gets, Mm -hmm. I just, I I wrote it down. He's yelling at her. Are you going to act it out again? Sure. Oh God. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna yell because that's what he's doing. This is so your I'm, gonna, episode to shine. I'm gonna back away from my mic. He's like yelling at her and she says, Is this Hook thinking that he's playing a joke? And like, maybe, maybe it is Hook. Has Hook had his hands on those twin dirigible breasts of yours? Has he put his hands on your Holston buttocks? Has he called you sugar pumpkin? I'm ruined and it's your fault. And then he hangs up on her. Well, but he calls her something really oh, horrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, a fat a fat cow. You pelvis-equipped moving van. <laughs> That's very good, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, that was rough. Pel- was it pelvis-equipped moving van that got you? Or was it fat cow? Both. Because pelvis-equipped moving van is my new insult for That's people. Because it is great. <laughs> and it's a kind of sexy. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I got that from it. I sure uh, did. I'm with you. Yeah. If you're into cars. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we get another scene with two more characters I love seeing together. James calls Stegman and he's like, How are you enjoying that fresh morning air? And he's like, I'm not. <laughs> Hook put up all these posters. and <laughs> I love this because James is like, the only posters I know about are fresh morning air posters. <laughs> and then we cut to him and at the top of his desk is just littered in fresh morning air buttons. It's beautiful. It just really he's tracks. been polishing them lately, too. It's so He's been polishing them lately. It's so great. He always blows on it, <laughs> rubs it on his shirt. Like, it's the best thing ever. I was wondering, like, if he started running out of... Because we talked about how Ed Bagley Jr. always motivates everything. Mm-hmm, and I was yeah. just wondering if he ran out of tricks at that point. Uh, so I, I listened to uh, an interview that Ed Bagley Jr. did about his character. And he's like, if I had to describe Jesse James with one word, it would be ineffectual. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that's what he said he loved playing about the character. He's like a character that is great at PR, terrible at everything else about his job. You know, okay, this is sorry. I'm going to get like real for a minute here. I've had a bad like month and seeing James just be so laid back and cool and calm and casual about everything. Nothing phases this guy at all. He's so positive all the time. People are in front of him fighting viciously and he's just like, hey guys, just take a deep breath of fresh morning air. <laughs> I, re- I really needed this. And it, it kind of helped me. I mean, he it's it's ridiculous, but I'm like, you just channel some Jesse James. <laughs> we should uh, we should make some fresh morning air buttons, some Operation Morning Air buttons. Oh my gosh, yes! You can wear one. Just channel your fresh morning upper class white privilege. <laughs> <laughs> just take yes. a deep breath. Don't yep. worry about yeah. it. <laughs> okay, well the Accurate. buttons are ruined. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have nothing to open this next scene except confusion time because Paul is Ant Bear. He we cut to the old kingdom, and Peter and Mary and Sally are there, and they meet um, long-haired wig Paul, and he explains that he looks like Paul because Mary wants everyone to be good, and he takes that human form basically for her, so he's good Paul. And then we get this face-off between Gottreich. Paul, Aunt Paul, Peter, Sally, and Mary. And it involves shooting light out of their hands? Ghost lightning, man. Ghost, Ghost lightning? lightning solves all the problems. What What did you guys think of how they represented this face-off with ghost lightning? So I thought that the lead-up to the show-off was great. It felt like a Western. They had, like, the alternate canting Dutch angles, so the one side came in, the good guys came in from the left, the bad guys came in from the right, and they went into it. Each of the guys had different techniques for their for their blasts of mm-hmm. energy. Paul, bad guy Paul's like Iron Man blast. Antibus is like Spider-Man underhanded casual. <laughs> I got this. You're gone. I did think that was cool, but I, I would have loved to see Ant Bear shooting ghost light out of his paws. <laughs> <laughs> What's really neat, though, about this is it is spilling into New Kingdom. So there are, you know, the New Kingdom is feeling this and windows are exploding and nobody seems to care. I secretly just hoped it was the windows in Stegg's office for no reason. I have no evidence to back that up, but my head canon <laughs> is those were the windows that blew out. <laughs> so this is, did, so did you notice how it had, we had a real crow vibe from... Uh, his human form. Like, yeah. I felt like I was looking at Brandon Lee there. And I, did you notice that he was wearing an onk? Mm-hmm. He had an onk on. No, I missed that. I got more yeah. of an Eric Mabius vibe than Brandon Lee. Still the crow. Okay. But, I mean, Brandon Still Lee is untouchable. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for our crow podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. So this is where... I made this connection in this scene where I think, oh no, is this going to be like another Janice McManus naming situation because of the onk that Antibus is wearing. And then later on when Peter says, after they use the magic spell to get rid of the, the, the mad doctor and Paul, Peter asks, uh, so what, uh, you know, about a dog boy and the mad doctor, like, what are, what are they up to? And it, so it made me think, like, there is 
right, maybe I should hold off on this because this is like my weird theory. So I'm this is kind of what I think is going to happen next episode. <laughs> Dude, so I don't. I intentionally didn't watch it, and now I saw this. So Antibus is if you take away the T in there, it's Anubis, and the dog is so the opposite of Anubis in Egyptian lore would be Wepwawet, and in the middle of that, it's Paul. So I was thinking, or is it just people mishearing these Egyptian god names? <laughs> Holy that shit! Amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> somebody, somebody on our Facebook had commented about uh, when they heard Antibus, they thought the they said Anubis and head, and you know the anteater head is like a jackal head, mm-hmm. and so like I've I've had that in the back of my mind, but that the dog thing that that just blew my mind. <laughs> That's amazing. So now I'm thinking it's just like Ant Bear became Ant Bear because it was a fun joke and he just wanted to play along with this little girl. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. Oh, God, I hope that's the case. <laughs> we wrap up this scene uh, by finding out, like, Sally kind of figures out that she has to put Mary to rest. She's channeling the black noise, but she's not doing it on purpose. And Aunt Ball tells Peter that if they succeed, Gottreich and Bad Paul will be erased. What do you guys make of that? I feel like if if Mary is what's channeling all this bad stuff, maybe it is specifically her that is just keeping the the old kingdom, the Swedenborgian old kingdom together. Mm. So yeah. if they mo- let her move on, the whole thing, like the fabric, the power of this this land will just fall apart. So they won't have that. Like they may still be, you know, ghosts in that harmless. Uh, way, but they wouldn't be able to have all this power to interact with the real world ma- anymore, maybe. That makes a lot of sense. I think we're going to see that n- there was finally a reason for that baseball episode because they rewound everything and made everything right for that guy. Yeah. So I think that's what it means is they'll be a race because they'll never have had an opportunity. If Mary's at rest, they were never able to do it. That's a good one, too. Ooh. We have two really good theories. <laughs> I'm very excited. For, I'm, dude, I'm so excited for this finale. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It was really hard not to keep just to click on and keep. Oh, yeah. It was a hell of a clip. Like the editing on this episode was what I wish the whole series had been up until this. point. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. And Paul also shows them something quite alarming about their possible future. He shows a, a vision of Stegman just shooting everybody it's uh and he tells them that they're gonna need the other sleepers and when peter's like can you be more specific and paul's like yeah man just follow the yellow brick road how much more specific do you need i I don't know i guess (laughs) next time someone asks me for advice (laughs) definitely what i'm gonna tell them but good news peter can write just fine now we've discussed this in our episodes he's drawn the seance we're back in the room with everyone and he writes everyone's name. So now we all know who needs to be a part of the seance, which we're building towards for the end of this episode. So I think that drawing was good enough. Yeah, me that too. Everyone would be able to tell who was supposed to be there. Well, writing their names was just for me then. <laughs> <laughs> it just brought it home. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to cut back to Stegman. He gets a call from the attorneys and the board of licensure, and it is not good because they also got the report. This is where we find out that Mona's family received a copy and also Dr. Dooling at the Toronto hospital and Stegman's like, well, who's that? And they're like, uh, that's your anesthesiologist when you worked on Mona. And 
they're they're telling him, stop talking, just shut your mouth. We're going to build your case. And he can't. He just can't stop. It's a nightmare. And if I didn't hate him so much, I would pity him here. But he's just disgusting. Yeah. Uh, did you catch the the reference in the anesthesiologist's name? Stephen no. Stephen Dooling. So Stephen King and Richard Dooling, who Stephen King wrote them all. And Richard Dooling was uh, also wrote some of the scripts and was like the medical like the medical reference because oh. he uh, worked in the hospital. So we've seen both these names on the credits of every episode. Nice. So it's a little Easter egg of putting <laughs> them both in it, which is also perfect because it's the confirmation of the anesthesiologist that really puts the the nail in the coffin mm-hmm. that this is not fake. So the writers of the show are the ones who took down Stegman. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And they tell him you're suspended. You, you're we're gonna have a hearing in like a month you know you're effed basically which, <laughs> which is really nice and then sort of to tie that up in a beautiful little bowl <laughs> <laughs> yeah tie it up in that bowl uh, just yeah. a ceramic glazed bowl yeah i might be hungry i guess <laughs> um to tie it up in a neat bow we cut to brenda and okay i love this i did write this down the limo driver has taken her back to the hospital. She's ripped up her ticket. And he's like, you know, doctor, what should I do with your luggage? And she says, page Dr. Stegman. And when he arrives, stick it up his butt piece by piece. And she says this as she is walking away from him into the hospital <laughs> on a mission. And I'm like, yes, what's she going to do? She does. Okay, I don't like what she does because I love rats. But I love what it does to Stegman. Like, I love the message <laughs> that it sends him. Oh, man. Yeah, she uh, she goes into his office and grabs the gun from his desk and then makes her way down to his lab where he's been doing his cocaine rat experiment and just starts laying waste to rodents. She's burning his life to the ground, as she should. Now it's earthquake time, but not the big one yet. And we get a scene with Nurse Carrie and Spall, and Spall's like... It's okay, lady. It's going to be fine. God will take care of us. And if he doesn't, then he won't. That is easily the most pointless scene right? in this entire episode. <laughs> and that's why I brought it up because I was like, really? So it'll be okay unless it isn't and then it won't be okay? <laughs> All right. Wise words, horse Paul. <laughs> like he was just there to kind of look creepy for a second. Yeah. Yeah. He's or, no... or he won't. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for speaking how life works. Again, he's no Rolf. True. Hook and Draper have to talk Elmer into helping out, which I thought was interesting. I was wondering why they didn't just have Lona ask him because he would have done whatever she told him to do. So I wondered, is this for us, the audience, to help us see Elmer as less of a douche and more of a human? Like he wrestles with this this crazy idea, the seance, and then he agrees to do it. Yeah, I think so. And also, uh, Lona is not a part of this. So she, I mean, she, she stumbles upon it because everybody's in her lab and that's how she ends up getting brought into it. But she is not part of the equation to begin with. Mm-hmm. So while all of this is happening, Mary makes sure that Peter sees a fire extinguisher, which we don't come back to at all in this episode. Hopefully we will next episode. Um, I'm curious what that's all about, but I can't possibly guess. It's such a weird thing. And how does she know what a fire extinguisher is? Anyway, <laughs> they're wheeling Peter into the the room where Meg is, and they're preparing for the seance. And Josh, as you said, Lona comes in all fired up, and Bobby gives her the way he 
treats everything that comes from his pockets like a crumpled up note (laughs) from Elmer's dad. But Sally feels like she can clear things up. And much to my astonishment, it she didn't try to explain what was happening by telling Lona she's a shitty doctor. <laughs> Stegman, meanwhile, is working his way up to killing everyone. And we see Paul behind him making comments that Stegman then repeats. So if Paul wasn't there helping him along or influencing him in some way, do you think he would have formulated this plan to shoot people? No, absolutely not. Because, And the main reason I feel that way is because when we get down to he goes down to the lab and he sees all his dead rats, he gets the gun, he puts the gun to his head and basically says, why give them the satisfaction? I I'm going to take everything I have. I'm going to take all this stuff and I'm going to leave this godforsaken state, go home and I will fight this from uh, from afar. If I get away, they can't hurt me anymore. And I, I believe he's banking on his reputation and his name meaning enough that he can fight this and or at least throw enough doubt mm-hmm. to to make this work. So without Paul right there, he's got an idea to be gone. And he does try to leave, I guess. God, OK. All right. This is insane to me. <laughs> so and I feel like. I feel like Stephen King really fucked me on this one. Yeah. All, all right. right. He really got me. Sometimes he, sometimes King just gets me with a sneak attack. And so Stegman is marching out. He's going to leave. He walks right past Abel and Krista, uh, even though he knows that's who he's looking for. He's so focused on leaving. He gets out to his car, sees that his car has been stripped clean, and he cannot leave. We have been enjoying Stegman getting his car beat to hell, torn apart every episode. If that hadn't happened, if his car was intact, he would have gotten in the car and left. Everything we've enjoyed happening to this car (laughs) is what leads us to Paul showing up in the driver's seat saying, go back in there and kill everybody. Have Have at it. That makes me so sad. Right. Just <laughs> Stephen King. Oh, that's a great point. Those are the best yes. moments, though, when you get people to laugh at a bunch of things and then you pull the rug out from under Absolutely. them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so we are going to wrap this episode. We do not get our seance. We are actually just beginning it. So I assume that that's going to be a major part of the next episode. Uh, Sally is dropping knowledge all over everybody. She's starting to explain Mary's situation and what she's learned and what's going to be happening in the next couple of hours, that this black noise is going to tear the hospital apart. And the episode ends before she gets into all of that. But before we wrap, Jeremy, you kind of have talked about this a little bit already, you know what you think all of this means and what you think is going to happen on the next episode, I'm curious if you have any other thoughts. This is where I got, it got really weird for me in this episode. So what's going to happen next is I hope there's a lot more explanation of flashbacks to the past to explain what's going on. I definitely think there's going to be an Anubis link as I, I always like draw present circumstances and put them onto the art I'm consuming. And this really feels like Stephen King for telling the current Black Lives Matter movement because Stegman denies everything and calls everything lies. He owns the only person in the hospital that owns a gun. The gun gets used against him. So he like constantly like, why is everybody against me? It's a big conspiracy. 
He's like, well, because you're your own worst enemy, you're a complete asshole. What's going on? And then when they mentioned to to calm the black voices in this episode, or else it's going to tear the kingdom apart, I was just like, holy, I'm just going to go take a nap. (laughs) Okay. I'm so glad you said that because when I was, I was listening to, to interviews from the cast and uh, Bruce Davison, who plays Stegman, when they asked him about his character, he said like, like he said, Stegman is the problem with the world. Like that's what his character represents is, is the, the problem with the world. And I thought that was fantastic. And so that really ties in. That is the deepest next episode prediction we've ever had. Absolutely. Yes. And and none of it will happen. It's just my dream. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we cover episode 13, the finale. For CM Alexander and Jeremy Marr, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, why not end this once and for all? Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to part 12 of Kingdom Hospital. We hope you enjoyed it. I have some info from Lisa Khan that might help explain Spall's character a little more. Apparently, the scene where he's knocked off his horse and blinded is straight out of the Bible. He was persecuting Jesus' followers, and when he had that experience, he changed his ways and converted his name to Horse Cop. So thank you, Lisa Khan, for the info. I also want to thank all of you who donated to the NAACP for my birthday fundraiser. If you haven't already done that and want to do a little bit of good today, go to our Facebook page for the link. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.